Welcome to the Terry Podcast, Tales from Near and Far, read to you by Pratham Data. A Child's History of England by Charles Dickens, read to you by Pratham Data. Here's a quick synopsis. After Henry V, Henry VI has come to the English throne, France is still reeling from the Black Death, and Charles VII is on the throne of France. While France is recovering and somewhat trying to gather its own wits after the Hundred Years' War, this young girl, called La Pucelle d'Orléans, or Maid of Orleans or June of Arc, receives visions that she is meant to protect the Catholic League and France. So Joan of Arc asks a lord called Botrico to bring her to the Dauphin's presence so that she could plead her case in why she's been destined to liberate France from the English invaders. So let's carry on. As her father still said, I tell thee, June, it is thy fancy. She set off to find out this lord, accompanied by an uncle, a poor village wheelwright and cart maker, who believed in the reality of her visions. They travelled a long way and went on and on, over a rough country, full of the Duke of Burgundy's men and of all kinds of robbers and marauders, until they came to where this lord was. When his servants told him that there was a poor peasant girl named Joan of Arc, accompanied by nobody but an old village wheelwright and cartmaker, who wished to see him because she was commanded to help the Dauphin and save France, Baudricode burst out a laughing and bade them send the girl away. But he soon heard so much about her, lingering in the town and praying in the churches and seeing visions and doing harm to no one, that he sent for her and questioned her. As she said the same things after she had been well sprinkled with holy water, as she had said before the sprinkling, Botricode began to think there might be something in it. At all events, he thought it was worthwhile to send her on to the town of Chinon, where the Dauphin was. So he brought her a horse and a sword and gave her two squires to conduct her. As the voices had told June that she was to wear a man's dress now, she put one on and girded her sword to her side and bound spurs to her heels and mounted her horse and rode away with two squires. As to her uncle, the wheelwright, he stood staring at his knees in wonder until she was out of sight, as well he might, and then went home. The best place, too. Joan and her two squires rode on and on, until they came to Chinon, where she was, after some doubt, admitted into the Dauphin's presence. Picking him out immediately from all his court, she told him that she came commanded by heaven to subdue his enemies and conduct him to his coronation at Reims. 
She also told him, or he pretended so afterwards, to make the greater impression upon his soldiers, a number of his secrets known only to him. And furthermore, she said there was an old, old sword in the cathedral of St. Catherine at Fierbois, marked with five old crosses on the blade which St. Catherine had ordered her to wear. Now, nobody knew anything about this old, old sword, but when the cathedral came to be examined, which was immediately done, there, sure enough, the sword was found. The Dauphin then required a number of grave priests and bishops to give him their opinion whether the girl derived her power from good spirits or from evil spirits, and they held prodigiously long debates about in the course of which several learned men fell fast asleep and snowed loudly. At last, when one gruff old gentleman had said to Joan, What language do your voices speak? And when Joan had replied to the gruff old gentleman, A pleasanter language than yours. They agreed that it was all correct and that Joan of Arc was inspired from heaven. This wonderful circumstance put new heart of the Dauphin's soldiers when they heard of it and dispirited the English army, which took Joan for a witch. So, Joan mounted the horse again and again rode on and on until she came to Orleans. But she rode now as never peasant girl had ridden yet. She rode upon a white war horse in a suit of glittering armour, with the old, old sword from the cathedral newly burnished in her belt, and a white flag carried before her, upon which were a picture of God and the word Jesus Maria. In this splendid state, at the head of a great body of troops escorting provisions of all kind for the starving inhabitants of Orléans, she appeared before the beleaguered city. When the people on the walls beheld her, they cried out, The maid has come! The maid of the prophecy has come to deliver us. And this, and the sight of the maid fighting at the head of their men, made the French so bold and made the English so fearful that the English line of forts was soon broken and troops and provisions were got into the town and Orléans was saved. Joan, henceforth called the Maid of Orléans, remained within the walls for a few days and caused letters to be thrown over, ordering Lord Suffolk and his Englishmen to depart from before the town according to the will of heaven. As the English general very positively declined to believe that Joan knew anything about the will of heaven, which did not mend the matter with the soldiers, for they stupidly said if she were not inspired she was a witch, and it was of no use to fight against a witch. She mounted her white war horse again, and ordered her white banner to advance. The besiegers held the bridge and some strong towers upon the bridge, and here the maid of Orleans attacked them. 
The fight was 14 hours long. She planted a scaling ladder with her own hands and mounted a tower wall, but was struck by an English arrow in the neck and fell into the trench. She was carried away and the arrow was taken out, during which operation she screamed and cried with the pain as any other girl might have done. But presently she said that the voices were speaking to her and soothing her to rest. After a while she got up and was again foremost in the fight. When the English who had seen her fall and supposed her dead saw this, they were troubled with the strangest fears and some of them carried out that they beheld St. Michael on a white horse, probably Joan herself, fighting for the French. They lost the bridge and lost the towers and the next day set the chain of forts on fire and left the place. But as Lord Suffolk himself retired no further than the town of Jargu, which was only a few miles off, the maid of Orléans besieged him there and he was taken prisoner. As the white banner scaled the wall, she was struck upon the head with a stone, but was again tumbled into the ditch but she only cried all the more as she lay there, On, on, my countrymen, and fear nothing, for the Lord had delivered them into our hands. After this new success of the maids, several other fortresses and places, which had previously held out against the Dauphin, were delivered up without a battle. And at Pate, she defeated the remainder of the English army and set up her victorious white banner on a field where 1,200 Englishmen lay dead. She now urged the Dauphin, who was always kept out of the way when there was any fighting, to proceed to Reims, as the first part of her mission was accomplished and to complete the whole by being crowned there. The Dauphin was in no particular hurry to do that, as Reims was a long way off, and the English and the Duke of Burgundy were still strong in the country through which the road lay. However, they set forth with 10,000 men, and again the Maid of Orléans rode on and on upon her white war horse and in her shining armour. Whenever they came to a town which yielded readily, the soldiers believed in her, but whenever they came to a town which gave them any trouble, they began to murmur that she was an impostor. The latter was particularly the case at Troy, which finally yielded, however, through the persuasion of one Richard, a friar of the place. Friar Richard was in the old tower about the Maid of Orléans, until he had sprinkled her well with holy water and had also well sprinkled the threshold of the gate by which she came into the city. Finding that it made no change in her or the gate, he said, as the other old, grave old gentleman had said, that it was all right and became her great ally. So, at last, by dint of riding on and on, the Maid of Orléans and the Dauphin and the 10,000 sometimes believing and sometimes unbelieving men came to Reims. 
and in the great cathedral of Reims, the Dauphin actually was crowned Charles VII in a great assembly of people. Then the maid, who with her white banner stood beside the king in that hour of his triumph, kneeled down upon the pavement at his feet and said with tears that what she had been inspired to do was done and that the only recompense she asked for was that she should now have leave to go back to her distant home and her sturdily incredulous father and her first simple escort the village wheelwright and cart maker but the king said no and made her and her family as noble as a king could and settled upon her the income of a count. Ah, happy had it been for the maid of Orleans if she had resumed her rustic dress that day and had gone home to the little chapel in the wild hills and had forgotten all these things and had been a good man's wife and had heard no stranger voices than the voices of little children. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, Please comment and please like it and subscribe. Please do let me know if there are certain tales from whichever part of the world you might be in that you would like me to read. Thank you.